is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works or others in the book world about their roles, what those roles entail, and the books they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Thoughts from a Page. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast. Today, I am chatting with Elizabeth Barnhill about our favorite fall 2021 books. After we recorded this episode, one of the books Elizabeth recommended, The Selfless Act of Breathing by J.J. Bola, was pushed to February for its release. While on the subject of fall reading recommendations, I want to mention Kelly Hooker of at Kelly Hook Reads Books Fall Reading Guide. She has crafted a beautiful Google Doc with loads of fabulous reading recommendations. The link is in my show notes, and I hope you'll check it out. As many of you know, Elizabeth Barnhill is the adult book buyer for the independent bookstore in Waco, Texas, Fabled Bookshop and Cafe. She graduated from Baylor University and worked for 20 years as a speech pathologist before turning her lifelong passion of reading and books into her dream job when Fabled opened in 2019. Elizabeth spends her days reading as many upcoming releases as possible and hosting events at Fabled. You can find her on Bookstagram at at Waco Reads. Elizabeth and I recently recorded a special Patreon episode where we discuss book pairings, nonfiction and fiction books that can be read together to enhance the reading experience of both books. I hope you'll check it out. I always love talking books with Elizabeth, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Before we get started, I am really excited to tell you about my latest sponsor, The Young Center, here in Houston. The Young Center is delighted to present author and producer Delia Efron on October 5th, at their 2021 Fall Benefit, Who's in Your Inbox, Delia Efron talks about life, change, and the relationships that matter. You know Delia's work. With her sister Nora, she co-wrote You've Got Mail and co-produced Sleepless in Seattle. Delia's newest book, coming out in April, is Left on Fifth, A Second Chance at Life. In it, she describes her story of falling in love after the death of her husband and sister, being diagnosed with cancer, and living through it all with humor and grace. To register, go to younghouston.org and click on Delia Efron. I've included a link in the show notes. You will get $10 off your ticket when you write thoughts from a page in the notes. I am personally planning to attend online, and I hope to see you there as well. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm doing great, Cindy. How are you? I'm doing fine as well, and I'm really excited to talk with you about fall reading and everything that we have read that we really like. This episode will be a tiny bit different than our normal, most anticipated or favorite reads for the season, because due to my mother's passing and some other things, I haven't read nearly as much for the fall, nor was I really connecting with very many books. So we're going to do it a little bit differently, and you're going to talk about the books that you love and the ones that I have loved as well, I will chime in on. That sounds great. Quickly, before we get started, I want to highlight Kelly Hooker of at Kelly Hook Reads Books Fall Reading Guide. It's just beautifully done. She puts so much time and effort into it, and it's in a Google Doc that can easily be downloaded, and I actually printed mine. So I just want to make sure that people go and find that because she has some wonderful recommendations. It's a fall reading guide, but she picks up books from earlier in the year and some older books from previous years, and she divides it into categories, and it's just wonderful. So I wanted to make sure people tracked that one down. I just read it too. She did a fabulous job, and it is beautiful, and I agree with lots of her recommendations. Me too. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how your reading's been going lately? Have you found that you've liked most of the books that you've read or have you had trouble getting into some of them? How's it been going? You know, I think I was really, really excited about all the fall books 
when I saw them earlier this summer, and some of them have panned out, some of them have not. There have been a lot of very, very long books that I'm still working through, uh, which is kind of interesting. I think most people right now are in agreement that COVID has made their attention span a lot less. So it's an interesting choice by these publishers to publish these books that are six, 700 pages long. But I am, I'm working through them and some of them are wonderful and some of them are passable. I do think it's interesting that there are so many long books coming out and a lot of them feel like they really could have been edited down a little bit. Well, I always think that. I, my, my father was a PhD professor and he always told us to power sentences, you know, just as few words as possible, the better. And so some of these I'm always thinking, oh, just edit it down just a little bit. Well, I do think that's right. And I mean, that's kind of a constant refrain from me anyways. I really like that book, but parts of it went on a little long. I feel like winter and spring are the times when the titles I like the best release. So I'm going to finish up my last couple fall reads, and then I can't wait to dig into all the wonderful books that are coming out in the winter, because there's a new Fiona Davis, Elise Hooper, Lucy Foley, Simone St. James, Peter Swanson, Louise Candlish, Erica Roebuck. I mean, there are just so many great books coming out, and I can't wait to get started on them. Yeah, I have noticed that I, I think spring may be my favorite time for new releases. I think there's always that that big fall release, but some of those wind up being a little disappointing. And some of the ones in the spring are debuts um, or ones that just really surprised me. And what I found is most of my favorite books of the year were from the spring 2021 list. I think mine's going to be the same way. And I think from this year, a lot of the ones I really liked came from pretty early in the year. But there are some really good ones also that I really enjoyed this fall. Can't wait to talk to you about them. Oh, absolutely. Probably my very favorite read of the year is a fall book. So I definitely agree. It's just interesting to see how it plays out and kind of what your perceptions are going to be versus what actually happens. Exactly. Well, why don't we get started? Because I know you have a long list. All right. The first one is a little bit of a gifty book, but I wanted to um, highlight it. And it is called Your Guide to Not Getting Murdered in a Quaint English Village by Maureen Johnson and illustrated by Jay Cooper. This book is utterly hilarious. It is sort of a nod to all these funny little cozy mysteries, mostly on BBC, where um, people get murdered on the regular in these little English villages. So it details all the possible ways you could possibly get murdered in a small English village. There's a map and hilarious drawings. And it's funny, in the bio, Maureen Johnson says she lives in New York City where she feels safe, where a vicar cannot reach her there. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm actually going to get this book for my parents. They're big BBC mystery lovers. And uh, it, I mean, you can just thumb, thumb through it in an afternoon and it's so cute. I remember when you posted about it and it looked adorable. So I need to check that one out. <laughs> it's a good one. All right. My next one is The Holiday Swap by Maggie Knox, and it'll be out October the 5th. This is a feel-good, holiday-themed romantic comedy about identical twins who switch their lives uh, in the days leading up to Christmas. So it kind of reminded me of The Holiday, which is one of my favorite holiday movies. Last year, Christina Lauren had a book called In a Holidays, and that was all the rage. I think this one probably will be the 2021 version of that. Um, So this book is just a warm, feel-good read perfect for those looking for a seasonal escape. Very reminiscent of a Hallmark movie and just a great little easy 
Christmas read. That's The Holiday Swap by Maggie Knox. I'm going to have to pick that one up because you don't read a lot of rom-coms. So if you're recommending them, I'm assuming it's really cute. Very cute. Yes. All right. My next one, this is more into my wheelhouse with serial killers. (laughs) Um, This is The Stolen Hours by Alan Eskins. He wrote a book several years ago called The Life We Bury, and I love that book. I recommend it all the time at Fable. So I was thrilled to see he had another one out with the main character in The Stolen Hours is an ancillary character in The Life We Bury. So this is about Lila, and she is an upcoming prosecutor in Minnesota, but she's haunted by memories of an attack years ago that left her emotionally scarred. Her attacker was never found. So then we, that's her story. And then we also, there's another part of this book where um, there's a woman who survives an attempted murder in Lilas County. And all eyes point to Gavin Spencer, who was suspected of other killings in the area. So the reader gets a glimpse into the life of Spencer and what he does to cover up his crimes. And that is probably my favorite aspect of the book. He's kind of uh, smug. He feels like he's too smart to get caught. So when Lila lays eyes on Spencer when he's in court, she suspects he may be the man who attacked her years ago. I loved getting into the mind of the serial killer. I loved the workplace dynamics at a law firm and the courtroom drama. I highly recommend this author, and this is a wonderful standalone thriller. I've heard such great things about his writing, but I always kind of wonder if it's a little too dark for me. Yeah, it's. I'm not a good judge of that because it doesn't really affect me too terribly, but I I think he's probably um, middle of the road. And I know he's a much bigger author in the northern part of our country. So uh, it's one of my jobs to get him to <laughs> to be a bigger name in the South, because I, I just really like how he writes. That's what I keep hearing, that his writing is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. My next one is On Animals. And this was written by Susan Orlean. She is famous for her book, The Library Book. Uh, This comes out on October 12th. And this was such a fun read. Short stories about different types of animals. One chapter is about her chickens. Another one is about gorillas. Another is about a whale. And then about breeding dogs. So they're domestic and wild animals. I was someone who always loved watching Disney animal documentary. So I felt like I was reading an, a Disney animal documentary. This is a perfect gift for any animal lover in your life and just very well written. I loved the library book and I felt like that book was everywhere. It is definitely on my list. I need to get a copy of it because like I said, I just love the library book. I thought it was so well done, such an interesting story. And as much as I like animals, I'm sure I'll like this one too. Oh yeah. It was, this is a great book. And That's all I want to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the library book was like a Gulf Coast reading selection. So it was picked by all of the libraries here to be read. And I just felt like it was all over the place. Yes, we still sell it well. When we have our displays of books on books, that one always sells really well. So this is kind of a departure for her, but she's just been an animal lover her whole life and always wanted to write a book about animals. There are a lot of animal books coming out this fall too. Yes, there are. Several are on my list. I figured they were. (laughs) Okay, my next one, These Silent Woods by Kimmy Cunningham Grant. Now, I have had my just sort of a running list of my top 10 favorites of the year in my head, and it really hasn't changed that much since maybe May. Well, this one catapulted itself right to the number two position of my favorite books of the year, and I was not expecting it. 
this book is stunning. I was deeply moved by the story of a father and a daughter living in the wilderness. I was so invested in their lives and had tears in my eyes when I had to say goodbye to the characters. I cannot wait to sell this book. Themes of nature, solitude, quiet, regret, hope, redemption, and even some quiet spiritual themes. This book reminded me of themes of my favorite Charles Dickens book, and I don't even want to say which one that is because it might spoil the ending. I I just cannot recommend this book more highly, and I can hardly wait to start selling it on October the 12th. That's The Silent Woods by Kimmy Cunningham Grant. I, too, absolutely love that book. It came in the mail to me, and I the cover caught my attention and the, the idea of the story. And I sat down to flip through it, and I read it in a day. I just thought it was so well done. And what I really liked about it was it's a clever mystery, and there are so many themes that you just discussed. But it's not super grim. Like it reminded me a little bit of The Descent. And then there's another book. I can't think of the, the Karen Dion one where, you know, they're in the woods and everything goes so grim in those stories. And so I just love this one because there's a lot to it. It's a very in-depth story. The characters are very well developed, but, you know, nobody's having their foot cut off or, you know, stuff like that. So it just I really, really loved it. It will definitely be in my top 10 of the year as well. Yes, and I'm a big lover of birds, so they talk of birds in this book. The father and uh, actually names himself Cooper after the Cooper's hawk, and he renames his daughter Finch. They're they're kind of escaped from from real life in the wilderness, so that's how they hide their identity. So there's just so much I I could say about this book, but all I'm going to say is just just buy it, put it in your hands, buy it at Fabled, (laughs) and... um, And you will just, I I promise you won't regret it. I agree completely. It's one of the best mysteries that I have read in a long time. Really one of the best books. And when Minotaur sent it, they sent this really cute care package and it had a bird whistle and had a sheet that identified all of the birds and what they look like from the book and a candle that smelled like the woods. It was very well done. Oh, I love that. And I'm actually interviewing her for the podcast, which I'm excited about. Oh, I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, this will definitely be her breakout hit, I think. I think that's right. My next book is a perfect book to pick up this October, and it is No One Will Miss Her by Kat Rosenfield. This comes out on October the 12th. I really enjoyed this quirky, macabre murder mystery that reminded me of the the same kind of feel as Twin Peaks or Fargo. So there's two main women in the story. Lizzie, who is a main local, kind of overlooked by society. Uh, No one even wants to claim that they're an acquaintance of Lizzie. And at the beginning of the story, Lizzie is narrating the story, but she's narrating it from beyond the grave. And the other woman is Adrian, a rich Boston Instagram influencer who enjoys renting Lizzie's rundown cabin in Maine to get away from the drama in her own life. I enjoyed the interplay with these two characters, and I found this book completely unputdownable. The characters were so vivid, and I found myself rooting for the down-on-her-luck Lizzie. I found this book smart, twisty, and always second-guessing my guesses. I can't wait to sell this book. Kat has collaborated with Stan Lee on projects and worked for MTV News. And this is actually, I picked this book for Fabled's November Book Club, and we'll be interviewing the author on November the 9th. So I I am very, very, very picky with my thrillers. I do not enjoy the -the run-of-the-mill, the wife who, the woman who, the girl who, blah, blah, blah. But this one, 
it just was a little bit different. And I, I even liked, there's kind of a social commentary that I really appreciated um, underlying the twisty murder mystery. Well, I clearly should have been talking to you more as I was stumbling through all the fall books that I wasn't enjoying because you've named several that were not on my radar that I should have been reading instead of what I was reading. Because <laughs> that one sounds really good as well. Yeah, it, there's there's some different appendages that are lopped off. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow it just reminded me of, you know, is that your friend in the wood chipper from the Fargo movie? <laughs> anyway, I, and I always like a book set in Maine. So I I just think this is a great one to read right around Halloween. I think that is why thrillers come out in the fall. I was just thinking about that because it's the perfect time with Halloween. Exactly. I always like to read a a debut novelist, especially when I truly enjoy their book. So I'll be rooting hard for Kat Rosenfield. Well, good. I'm going to have to definitely check that one down. My next book is, is a book, but it's also a love affair with an author that is new to me, and that is Catherine Ryan Howard's 56 Days. And this is already out. I have now, I rarely ever read books that are not new releases, but I have read, I read three of her books in two weeks. I cannot put them down. She is an Irish crime novelist, and 56 Days was actually, I think, a book of the month club pick. and. She's a very big deal in Ireland, and I think this side of the pond is finally getting to appreciate her work. So in 56 Days, it begins with the initial days of lockdown in Ireland, and Catherine Ryan Howard wrote this book during lockdown about lockdown. Allison and I at the store always laugh that there's so many World War II books out there, and uh, one of these days, our grandchildren will be reading tons and tons of historical fiction based on COVID. <laughs> And so this is the first of these books, I would say. But do not fear. This is not about COVID. It is about the lockdown. So there's no triggering things about the actual virus. It's just what the people of Ireland have to do to survive the lockdown. And famously, the the powers that be in Ireland uh, basically told couples to break up or shack up. There was no visiting people during lockdown. So two people in this book have just started a relationship and they decide to shack up rather than break up. But at the end of the initial days of lockdown, only one member of this couple remain alive. It's just very uniquely written and I couldn't turn the pages fast enough. That is 56 Days by Catherine Ryan Howard. It has such an interesting cover, I think. Yeah, she calls it the Dirty Dancing cover. The font looks like the font of Dirty Dancing. Uh, I actually like the the cover, the Irish cover better, but you know what? When you turn that when you open the pages, it all looks the same. Now I need to look up the Irish cover. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. It looks more like a clock, I think. Every single one of her books are fabulous. And I'll say they're kind of hard to find in America, but I directly work with the publisher and have every copy of every book she's ever written on our shelves at Fabled, and they are going fast. So I would recommend getting them while they're hot. Well, and I did get it. I haven't read it yet based on your recommendation. And I tried like three bookstores in New York City when I was up there moving my daughter in and no one had it and all looked blankly at me. So I ordered it from Fabled and it came and it signed. Yes. So if you want to get that book, get it from Fabled. (laughs) My next book is Travels with George by Nathaniel Philbrook. Philbrick is one of my favorite nonfiction authors. He would be a great one if you if you like the narrative nonfiction genre. Pick up 
any of his backlist books. But in his latest, he shares his adventure with his wife and dog as they travel the road that George Washington traveled during and after his presidency. I found this book informative and entertaining, and it was actually inspired by Travels with Charlie by Steinbeck, where he's traveling the roads with his dog, Charlie. So I learned a whole lot about the beginnings of America and how George Washington really had to work hard to to keep it all together. And um, some of the myths and mysteries about George Washington are spoken about in this book. I absolutely love this book. You put it on my radar. And then they pitched interviewing him. So I'm interviewing him next week, which I can't wait to do. But I just thought this book was amazing. I learned so much. I actually learned a little bit more about Travels with Charlie, and I love that book. And just the whole process that Washington went through, a little bit more about both him and then the beginnings of the country. And that cover, every time I look at it, it makes me smile. It's just perfect. Yes, I think also this would be a really good Christmas gift for the history buffs in your life. I think so, too. I really loved Travels with George. I thought it was so clever and interesting, and I learned a ton. And he's so funny. I know. I love him. I, he wrote um, In the Heart of the Sea, which was a great disaster story about the <laughs> Wellship Essex. It's one of my favorites. Yes, because it's a disaster story. Of course. <laughs> my next book is Apples Never Fall by Leon Moriarty. This was highly anticipated by me. I've, I've loved most of her books, and I was kind of curious to see if this was one that I loved as much as her earlier works. Some of her later works have not quite hit me the right way, but I really, really enjoyed this book. I love her writing style, uh, quirky characters and unexpected ways that characters interact. She kind of reminds me of Frederick Bachman that way. I kind of liken those two together, the the quirky characters and the the interesting way they connect with each other. Uh, In Apples Never Fall, we meet the Delaney family who ran the most successful tennis company in their area and in Australia. The Delaney parents are now retired and they have four adult children who are all hot messes in their own right. In the beginning of the story, we find the mother has gone missing with the only clue being a text she sends to her kids saying that she would be off grid. Has she met with foul play or is she tired of the life she's living? You'll have to read to find out. I think Anyone who loves dysfunctional family drama or tennis would will really appreciate this book. I also love that the mother has has a very difficult time with um, technology, and <laughs> I and I feel her pain. So some of the things that happen are pretty funny to me, and it all deals with technology. So, well, then that will resonate with a lot of us because I feel like I'm always having to ask my kids to help me with something or another. Absolutely. Well, I know that's a much-anticipated book, so I'm glad to hear that you liked it. I did. All right. Next one is uh, Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. And this book, I think it's receiving... A lot of people have really enjoyed it. A lot of people have not. I think if you are expecting The Nickel Boys Part 2, you're not going to be... You're not going to come away very happy. But I actually really enjoyed this book. It takes place in 1960s Harlem. And I think it read kind of like a Quentin Tarantino movie or Ocean's Eleven. Whitehead really enjoys heist movies and stories, so he wanted to create one himself. And the main character is Ray Carney. And one of the first sentences in the book is, Ray Carney was only slightly bent when it came to being crooked. 
which was perfectly perfect way to describe him. Uh, Carney sells reasonably priced furniture in Harlem, but it's hard to make ends meet with that life that he feels his wife and daughter deserve. So occasionally, to, to help make ends meet, he will fence items that his cousin steals kind of under the, under the table. He doesn't ask questions, but it, it certainly helps with the bottom line. The cousin's name is Freddie, and one day he falls in with a crew who plan to rob the Hotel Teresa, which was considered the Waldorf of Harlem. And of course, things go horribly wrong, and we meet a, a large cast of shady cops and vicious gangsters and pornographers and uh, low lives in Harlem. So, this book, I think I would say the first part of it is maybe my favorite part. I love how he describes Harlem in the 1960s just the hot, sticky pavement and the, the furniture store. And um, he just, he's probably, I mean, I think. Colson Whitehead may be the most talented author writing today. He's stunning. So I love this book. I would say maybe this would be a book that men would enjoy more than women, as opposed to Nickel Boys, but I really loved it. And it's Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. I was so excited initially when I read about this book, and then there has been so much mixed conversation about it. But I think your point is probably right, that he sort of switched genres or really to switch direction that he was writing. And so if you're anticipating one thing and you get another, it may not resonate as much with you. So I probably need to pick it back up. I mean, I haven't actually started. I need to pick it up. Yeah, the sense of place is is what I really loved. And I loved Ray Carney. And you can just see him really trying so hard to, to be a, an upstanding citizen. And it's just hard to do it. I clearly need to pick up that book. It sounds great. And with a strong sense of place, I know it's the book for me. Oh, yes. I know you do love a good, strong sense of play. So I, I think you should give it a try. I will. Thank you for the rec. My next book is The Speckled Beauty by Rick Bragg. Bragg is one of my favorite authors of all time. I love every single thing that man writes. And this one is just a true gem. With his signature charm and style, Bragg's latest book dazzles the reader with tales of his terrible dog, Speck. Speck is a nightmare of a dog who is so endearing, you may want a terrible dog in your life as well. He writes just, I love how he writes about this awful dog, how he met this dog. He writes about his wonderful family and life in rural Alabama. And never fear, I know any, usually when there's a dog on the cover of a book, the dog is dead at the end. But Speck is still alive and terrorizing portions of East Alabama to this day. And uh, Rick Bragg also tells the reader that no cats were harmed in the writing of this book. <laughs> Though Speck does terrorize a lot of cats. I love that book, too. I will read anything Rick Bragg writes. I just love him. He's so entertaining. And I thought this was such a sweet book. I really enjoyed it. It, it was great. Another, another great animal book this fall. And the nice thing about it is it's a smaller book and it's short. So when we're always talking about these books that go too long, it does not go too long. Nope. Not at all. I agree. My next book is The Man Who Died Twice by Richard Osman. So one of my favorite books last year was The Thursday Murder Club, which was a surprise hit. And this is the second in the series. And The Thursday Murder Club, if you have not picked up this book, it just came out in paperback. It's just fabulous. One of my favorite characters in The Thursday Murder Club is Elizabeth. She's sort of a retired um, CIA type agent. 
and she's hysterical and just a total, you just, you don't want to mess with Elizabeth, but we get to know her backstory a little bit better in this book. This series has quickly become my, maybe my favorite murder series, and I can't wait for the next installment next year. I absolutely love this one. I read it the second I got it, which was like in April or May, and I've already been telling everybody they must read it, and I love the Thursday Murder Club as well last year. And one of my best friends came in last weekend for my mom's service, and I was, they were asking me what I'd read recently that I really liked, and I said, oh, I've got the best one that's coming out soon, you know, The Man Who Died Twice. And Kelly, my friend Kelly said, Oh, I'm reading the Thursday Murder Club right now. So they, she was very excited and was carrying on about how good it was. It's great that that book has continued to have staying power. Yeah, I think it really even surprised Penguin last year how well this book had, had done. And I just, I put it in as many hands as possible at the store. I agree. I'm always talking about it to people when they're looking for just a good, entertaining mystery. My next book is When Ghosts Come Home by Wiley Cash. Cash reminds me of William Kent Kruger, how he writes about Minnesota, or even how John Grisham or John Hart write about North Carolina. I, if you haven't picked up any of his books, I really recommend them. They're, he's just a great Southern author. And he writes in this book about Sheriff Winston Barnes, who is an older sheriff, up for re-election. And the, the election doesn't, doesn't look like it's going to go very well. He's up against kind of a corrupt, very wealthy, younger man. Uh, but one day, uh, or one evening, he wakes up when he hears a plane crash. And so he runs out to see truly there was a plane crash at the airstrip. And there is a man shot to death uh, near the plane. There are no passengers or cargo on this crashed plane. So his political opponent is well-connected and corrupt, and his deputies are starting to take political sides. So uh, William, I'm sorry, Sheriff Winston Barnes has got to get to the bottom of the case and do everything he can to keep his people safe and root out the people responsible for the crash and the murder. His daughter, this, this all takes place in the 1980s, and his daughter has moved to Dallas, she had just suffered a miscarriage and comes home. So there's a whole lot going on in his personal life. The man who dies is a, it's a very well-respected African-American man. So there's some race relations, a little dip into the drug culture in the 1980s. And um, again, just the, the strong sense of place. When Ghosts Come Home by Wiley Cash. I always hear great things about his writing as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. My next book is A Line to Kill by Anthony Horowitz. And I always say if if I could only read one mystery writer for the rest of my life, and I got to pick, it would be Anthony Horowitz. This is the latest installment in the Detective Hawthorne series. So he has several standalone books and he has two series. And so every other year he he adds one to either one of the series. And this is the in the series of The Word is Murder and The Sentence is Death. Horowitz is actually a fictionalized character in these books, and he is writing the the life history of Detective Hawthorne. And this man is hilarious and naughty, um, but a very good detective who did something kind of shady several years ago, so he's trying to improve his reputation. But in this book, it is a a locked room sort of mystery set on an idyllic and remote island south of England during a literary festival. And I loved this book just as much as I liked the other ones. And if you have not 
picked up the series or just any of his books. They're all just fabulous. So uh, his other series is the Magpie Murder series, and it's just been revealed that it's going to be a six-part series on, I believe, PBS coming up in the next couple of months. Oh, that's fun. I didn't know that. And he writes a bunch of other stuff, too. I think he's continued at least one other series for one of the authors that had passed away. I can't remember, but he, he's written a wide range of things. Maybe it's the James Bond books. What is it? No, it's, it's Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Okay. I was like, I know there's something else he's written because I remember when I worked at the bookstore. He may be the only author or at least one of only a very few handful of authors that the Arthur Conan Doyle family has has given the rights to write Sherlock Holmes books. So he's got one called Moriarty and one called The House of Silk. That's right. Yes. Um, I remember those. Because yes, a lot of people do write those stories since they're outside the time frame of having to have, you know, the copyright or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you're right that he's one of the only ones that actually has the permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I've literally read every single thing Horowitz has ever written and he never lets me down. Good. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed that one. Okay, the next one's a little funny. <laughs> this one is An Elderly Lady Must Not Be Crossed by, I think her name is Helene Turston. This is the second in the installment of Maud, an 80-year-old serial killer in Sweden. Uh, the book An Elderly Lady Must Not Be Crossed was a huge hit in the last year or two. They're teeny tiny little books that are great to put in stockings. And they are just very, very darkly humorous short stories of Maud's adventures, murdering people all over Europe. And I don't know why these just crack me up, but Maud is is quite the character. And um, again, a great stocking stuffer, teeny tiny little book. You can read it in an afternoon. We sold so many copies of that first one when I was working at Murder by the Book, and I really can't wait to read this one. Yes, they're just the continuing adventures of octogenarian serial killer Maud. <laughs> <laughs> All the things you'd never think to string together in a sentence. Exactly. I was like, words that don't really seem like they'd go together. <laughs> okay, my next book is a little different. It's Dear William by David uh, McGee. And this is not to be confused with O. William or Dear Anne, books that are also coming out this fall. It is a nonfiction memoir. This book absolutely wrecked me and really made me want to put a copy in every high school and college parents' hands and even just college kids' hands. McGee writes with honesty and vulnerability about his seemingly perfect American family struggle with addiction, which ultimately led to the accidental overdose of his oldest son. I really enjoyed reading about the author's backstory growing up in Oxford, Mississippi. He speaks to love, regret, and things to look out for with teens and substance abuse. I intended to read this slowly, just a couple chapters at a time, but I read the entire memoir in an afternoon, and I still can't stop thinking about it. Portions of the sales of this book will go to an organization the author helped establish, encouraging wellness and research into alcohol and other drugs at Ole Miss. I actually uh, talked to the author. He's just a really, really nice man. He truly just wants to encourage wellness with college students. We're going to try to get him to come to Fabled. He, He really works well with chancellors at universities to talk to kids about the, the dangers of, of drug addiction and 
it was just a beautiful, beautiful story. That's Dear William by David McGee. Oh, that sounds really good. Really hard to read, but really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had um, a boy, boy, girl. The oldest was a college athlete, and I had boy, boy, girl. Oldest, my oldest son was a college athlete. So there's a lot of parallels, and um, he just it, it was just a really, really great story. My next one is Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. This one comes out on October the 19th. I am not sure if there's ever been a new release more on brand for our bookstore, Fabled. We always say that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien are patron saints. We probably sell more C.S. Lewis than any other author. So having them in characters in this book was just made it extra special. Once Upon a Wardrobe is a love story between an older sister and her sickly younger brother, that same older sister and a handsome Irish Oxford student, and just a love story to the power of all stories in our lives. I was deeply, deeply moved by this book and think it will make a perfect holiday read. This is my favorite book of the year. I just absolutely loved it, and I plan to pick it up again soon and reread it because I feel like there's so much in the book. And I've thought about it so many times since I finished it that I kind of want to go back to the beginning and and read it again. And I've already interviewed Patty for the podcast, and we had a great conversation about it. And I still need to go back and read Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which I haven't. One of my favorite parts of the book was the fact that C.S. Lewis's stepson wrote this beautiful letter at the end of it talking about Patty and how well she had written the story and brought him to life. And it's just beautiful. I, I just can't say enough good things about this book. Yes, I learned all about him and Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which was the story, the love story of C.S. Lewis and Joy Davidman. And the stepson was a character in that story. So he, I, I love the fact that he has signed off on this and really enjoyed it as well. She said she sent it to him for him to read and hoped, you know, he'd write a couple sentence blurb or something. And then he sent back this beautiful letter and she was so touched. I know. I love that letter. I just, I loved everything about this story. Me too. I mean, truly. It's just one of those books I teared up so many times as I was reading it. It's just beautiful. I agree. All right. The last one I want to talk about today is The Selfless Act of Breathing by J.J. Bola. And this reminded me a lot of Transcendent Kingdom by Yaw Jesse. So if you like that book, I would definitely recommend putting this one in your hands. And I'm just going to read a little blurb of what the publisher wrote about it. Uh, It is a heartwarming, page-turning novel about a Congolese-British Londoner who travels to the U.S. on one last adventure, determined to end his life once his savings runs out. Michael Kabongo is a British-Congolese teacher living in London on the cusp of two identities. On paper, he seems to have it all. He's beloved by students, popular with his co-workers, and the pride and joy of a mother who immigrated from the Congo to the UK in search of a better life. But behind closed doors, he's been struggling with the overwhelming sense that he cannot address the injustices he sees raging before him, from his relentless efforts to change the lives of his students for the better, to his attempts to transcend the violence and brutality that marginalizes young Black men around the world. So it kind of goes back and forth between his time as a teacher in the UK and his adventures when he's just, he's decided he's got a a certain amount in his bank account. And when it runs out, he's going to end his life. And so you watch, you watch his adventures in America and then it'll, the, the amount in his bank account goes down, goes down, goes down. So there's this impending sense of doom, but I, I, 
teared up at the end of the story. It's just so well written and I don't know. I, I really loved it. I've heard that this is going to be a, a motion picture and I can't wait to watch it. That's The Selfless Act of Breathing by J.J. Bola. That sounds really good. I haven't even heard of it. Well, that's what I'm here for. Well, the one book that was not on your list that's on mine is The Collector's Daughter by Jill Paul. And I absolutely love that book. I really like her. I've already interviewed her and it's aired. It talks about Lady Evelyn Herbert, who was there when they opened King Tut's tomb, and she was actually the first person into the actual tomb versus into the building that houses the tomb. So she was with Howard Carter and her father, who was the patron of Howard Carter. So the three of them snuck in the night before the actual opening of the tomb, and they each took a few things with them. And so they were truly the first people inside where King Tut was buried. But then it also just talks about what it was like to find the tomb and to be there and all of the discussions about Egypt, who had just kind of uh, formalized their initial independence from the UK and how things were changing. Because prior to that, when people would open these tombs, the, you know, whoever, wherever they were from, they would just take everything from the tomb and take it back to their country. But once Egypt had its initial independence, they kind of put new rules in place and were trying to keep as they should the, the items in Egypt. And so it was just a fascinating history of in, in focus on a different time period than a lot of times historical fiction does. And I just loved it. I highly recommend it. And that's The Collector's Daughter by Jill Paul. Yes. One of the owners at Fabled, Allison, has this on her list as one of her favorites of the year, too. Yeah, it's just really, really well done. And it, it goes back in time. So it really, a lot of it is set in the 70s. And Evelyn uh, Herbert's character reflects back on what it was like to open the tomb and just kind of various things that resulted from that. Sounds wonderful. She's a great author. She is. She's so She's so delightful to talk to, too. Well, this has been wonderful, Elizabeth, and thank you for carrying the burden of having to go through many of the books. I really appreciate it. And I know it'll be hopefully a little more balanced for January through March. Well, it's a beautiful burden to bear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do a wonderful job with it. Well, thanks as always for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Thank you for having me. Enjoy your fall. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access some fabulous bonus content. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group and Young Center Houston for sponsoring this episode. I hope you'll tune in next time. there. 
I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.